Greetings, my loves. Madam Haley here for what I suspect could be the last time we meet for a while. Come on here, honey, and help me clear away some of these things from the graves over in the cemetery. Now, I told y'all the first time I met y'all that we find all sorts of things, like these black and white feathers and jars and glass here. You see these holes? People are constantly out here poking around, either digging up dirt or burying something. Of course, it's all unauthorized, but I overlook it because I understand. My own mother was, well, let's just say she did this kind of work. I know its power, and I respect it. Of course, different strokes for different folks. None of them do it the same way, so don't expect to learn all the ins and outs, the rhymes and reasons. Some of this is not for you to know. That's why I told Lady G to keep it brief. Basically, don't talk about everything. She knows what to say and what not to say. She knows how to shut up so she doesn't have to worry about anybody shutting her up. In essence, in this episode, anything she mentions can easily be found on the internet. Now, since you won't be hearing much from me on the podcast, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. Lady G helped me set up an account there. I intend to make her regret it. Anyway, my account is at Madam underscore Haley, and that is M-A-D-A-M-E underscore H-A-I-L-L-E-Y. And remember, I might comment, but I'll be damned if I like or follow. Madam Haley signing off. I bid you good day. Greetings and welcome to the Southern Witching Hour podcast. I am your host, Lady G. And on this podcast, you know I love to share captivating and mysterious lore, as well as stories of the mundane and the supernatural from the American South. So in today's episode, we will explore the enchanting magic that is often performed in Southern cemeteries and graveyards. So we often think of cemeteries as places of reverence and final rest, but they also hold secrets, traditions, and spiritual practices that go beyond the mundane. We'll take a peek at some of the rituals and magic that have been practiced on these sacred Southern grounds. Now, our practitioners may vary, but because we are in the South, they often include root workers, sometimes known as root doctors, conjures, or hoodoo practitioners, also practitioners of Vodun in Louisiana. So do realize this list is not exhaustive. There are various practitioners out there that do work in cemeteries. Now, I'm by no means an authority on the subject. I'm simply a lover of Southern culture and lore, and I have a healthy respect for the various spiritual practices that my fellow Southerners decide to follow. So basically, I'm here to raise awareness about different beliefs and practices. Now, I don't endorse or encourage any one particular spiritual path, nor do I encourage harmful actions to others. Now, with that said, before we explore spiritual practices that are conducted in cemeteries, it's vital to understand the concept of sympathetic magic, which is the belief that like affects like. 
Again, this principle is a cornerstone of many rituals performed in cemeteries by any number of magic practitioners. So sympathetic magic can be divided into two categories, which includes similarity and contagion. So you can think of them as laws. So the law of similarity says that if two objects, A and B, are similar in their properties, then a change in A will cause a corresponding change in B. It involves creating a likeness or a representation of the desired result, such as using a doll in a love spell. The law of contagion is based on the idea that things that were once in contact continue to be connected. That means that if two objects, A and B, were once in contact, then a change in A will cause a corresponding change in B, even if A and B are no longer in contact. And this is often seen in the use of personal items like hair or clothing. Ah, but here's where the bad blood comes in. Spiritual or magic practitioners are often called to do benevolent work. However, some are willing to take a different approach. I have a good friend who is a priestess in the Vodun tradition, and she was the first to explain to me the reasons why it's important for people to understand that all actions come at a price. So the question becomes, what are you willing to pay? <laughs> in essence, what you put out, you will get back. You're listening to the Southern Witching Hour podcast with Lady G. Before we go any further, I have an article that I'd like to share, and it has an interesting perspective. Now, I'm going to share a little bit um, from an article called Cemetery Hoodoo, Culture, Ritual Crime, and Forensic Archaeology from a journal called the Forensic Science International Synergy. Now, I'm going to include a link to this article because you can find it online. And I'm going to read a little bit of the abstract first, and then I'm going to jump down to the more interesting parts. <laughs> so uh, in the abstract, it says, in 2012 and 2014, the author, and her name is um, Sharon K. Moses, was a consultant to law enforcement regarding crime scenes of a ritualistic nature in the American Southeast. These ritual activities were expressions of folk magic spells linked to certain West African traditions. These spells were used for magical, religious, curative, and justice, known as hoodoo, conjure, or root work. The ritual activities were conducted at grave sites in a public cemetery. The author was approached to contribute forensic, archaeological, and anthropological insights that had thus far proved elusive. This article is an examination of how cultural anthropological understanding and a forensic archaeological eye to an outdoor crime scene can redefine crime scene investigative methodology and interpretation. So I want to jump down to 
a different part in the article where it gets a lot more interesting because the article does um, give a brief overview of these spiritual practices and their origins. But I want to get to kind of the meat of the matter. So while the investigation began with one local cemetery, the disturbances spread to other rural cemeteries over time. In each instance, the pattern of using recent graves was the only consistent element among all sites. Many of the graves were on the periphery of the cemetery where new grave plots were often added, but there were some exceptions. A few grave sites with ritual activity were in heavily trafficked areas with an unobstructed view from the road. Surface artifacts consisted of empty beer cans, no obvious brand preference, coins, mainly in denominations of dimes, nickels, pennies, and occasional quarters. Monetary amounts varied, but typically came to less than $2. Other notable surface deposits were hen's eggs, blood, maybe from a chicken, feathers, black and white feathers, uh, specifically, pieces of Polaroid photographs, remnants of candle wax drippings on or around the headstone, empty salt packets, bits of shell, possibly oyster, and sealed spell jars that had specific ingredients in them. So when they decided to analyze the spell jars, this is what they found. Two jars were recovered from cemetery personnel and their sealed contents were delivered to the author for analysis. So initial examination of the bottles revealed a systematically assembled deposit that appeared to follow a prescribed selection of ingredients and methods of handling. The author concluded that these were spell jars known among the Gullah in the South Carolina Low Country, Georgia, and beyond. Jars previously used for sweet jams or jellies are often associated with relationship spells, and it was in this jar that the target of the spell was a female based upon the Polaroid photograph found within it. Due to the selection of contents, method of sealing, and remnant candle wax, the author concluded that these jars had indeed gone through a first-step ritual process before they were brought to the cemetery. So without going into too much detail, there were two spell jars and there was a variation in how these two spell jars were prepared. One contained a photo of a, actually it was a Polaroid picture of a female from the 1970s. The other contained part of a man's face in a Polaroid picture. Each placed in different graves at different times. The writer concluded that there was some sort of um, complaint against the man and that many of the ingredients in the jar with his picture spoke to a curse or a hex. No doubt there was bad blood between these two. <laughs> and it could be that they both were in the same picture, but the picture had been split. In other words, to indicate separation. Now, in some magical and spiritual traditions, specific graves are used for rituals, and the choice of these graves can be based on many different factors, including the perceived power, reputation, or certain attributes of the deceased person in that particular grave. So, I'm going to give you a couple of the examples that I found 
um, as to why specific graves might be selected. So, of course, number one, and, and these aren't really in any order, but um, the first one is ancestor graves. So many practitioners believe that their ancestors have a special connection to them and can offer assistance or guidance and protection. So it's not unusual for them to work with a particular ancestor's grave. Also, people who are famous or revered for some specific reason. Um, this person may be a spiritual leader, a healer, or some sort of saint. So they would be a good person to go to to seek blessing. Unmarked or abandoned graves. This one talks about how some people may select um, abandoned graves because they are less likely to be disturbed and um, their work can be done privately and in secrecy. Now, others believe that the spirit of individuals who have been neglected in death may be more willing to assist or be more powerful due to their circumstances. Also, sympathetic connections. The choice of a grave may also be based on sympathetic connections between the deceased individual and the purpose of the ritual. For example, if a person wants to perform a love spell, they may choose a grave associated with a romantic or passionate figure from history. Burial location. Some traditions hold that the location of a burial, such as being near water or near crossroads, a hill, can enhance the spiritual power of the site. Practitioners may choose specific graves based on the location of the burial. Cultural or regional beliefs. Specific graves may be chosen based on local or regional beliefs and practices. What is considered significant in one culture may not be in another. Graves with specific symbolism. In some cases, the symbolism on or around a grave, such as the presence of certain plants, stones, or objects, might make it suitable for a particular type of ritual. For example, a grave with a prominent tree might be chosen for rituals involving growth and transformation. Folklore and legends. Certain graves are associated with legends, folklore, or local tradition. People might perform rituals at these graves to tap into the energy or magical properties believed to be associated with the individual buried there. Specific intent or specialty. In some cases, a particular deceased person is known for their expertise or specialization in a particular area, such as love, healing, or protection. Practitioners may choose to perform rituals at the grave of a person believed to have such skills to seek help in that specific aspect of their life. A personal connection. So individuals may have a personal connection with a specific grave due to their experience or beliefs. This personal connection can influence their choice of graves for rituals. Permission and respect. In many magical traditions, it is considered essential to seek permission and show respect to the spirits of the deceased and the guardians of the cemetery. Some practitioners may have a pre-existing relationship with certain graves and the spirits associated with them graves of children. Now, I will say in the article that I just read, the author noted that no child's grave or any person under the age of 18 was ever used in any of the rituals that they tracked while they were looking at what had gone on in those particular um, cemeteries in that area. 
But in this case, graves of children are sometimes selected for rituals related to innocence, protection, or invoking the energy of purity and vulnerability. In the case of negative magic, practitioners may select the graves of individuals who were known for their malevolent actions or reputation. This can be done with the intention of seeking assistance or empowerment for curses or harmful spells. And this one, geographical factors, kind of like the one we talked about with the location, the location of a grave within a cemetery or its proximity to certain landmarks or, again, elements like water can also influence a practitioner's choice. Geographical factors may also align with specific magical correspondences. Now, before I go, I want to leave you with this old saying. If you take from a graveyard, you'll leave more than you took. (laughs) I enjoyed researching and learning about this topic, and I'll be sure to include any relevant links in the show notes. And I just enjoyed y'all as I normally do. I left a lot of meat on the bones of this topic, and if you want to chew on it, you know, drop me a line on my Instagram page at the underscore southern underscore witching underscore hour. Be sure to like and share this podcast if you enjoyed any of the episodes. And remember, Lady G loves you.